0: Just to let you guys know, I'm probably, you're not going to see me for six weeks uh, preaching, because I'm having, um, next, next slide, oh, actually, I, I, I got a new clicker. Hopefully it works. Come on. No. I paid more for this. Was that you or me, Mitchell? That was you? Dude, I'm so sad right now. My $300 clicker. Just kidding. Oh, is that you or me? You. All right. So it's like my twenty-dollar clicker. Anyways, um, I'm gonna be having a child in four weeks. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Most of me is cheering, and so um, anyways, we have a lot of in-house speakers that I love to rotate up. Anyways, and um, I'm just really thankful for them to get give a lot of different voices to our passage. But the next time you see me, I'll be a dad, I'll have my, my eye bags, we'll have eye bags, and pretty much every illustration will be on poo and babies. So this is the last time you get to hear me preach as a non-father. Um, we're in the Book of Romans, we're tackling Romans chapter 3, and the first two chapters, oh my gosh, I am so disappointed. I am so disappointed right now. Okay, I'm going to pull myself together, Okay. So, the first two chapters, Paul kind of talks about the spectrum of morality. And he goes after kind of the worst of the worst at the end of chapter one. No. Okay, maybe I point straight to it. No. This could be the rest of the day. Oh my gosh. Oh no, I'm giving things away. All right, here you go. Was that you or me? Was that all me? That was all me. Okay. Mitchell's like pointing the laptop at me. He's lifting it in the air to point it at me. You're a good man, Mitchell. Okay, all right, I'm focused. So uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul kind of talks about the they, right? Kind of the worst of the worst. I have Trump up there a little higher than that. This is kind of like low performers when it comes to morality. And then, um, and then he has other categories. He has kind of maybe average performer, the one that says, I'm not really Christian, therefore I don't have to give into Christian ethics. And then uh, above that is the good person who's better than most, right? Maybe you put yourself in that category. And then lastly, it's kind of the super Christian or super Jew. And at the very top is maybe the Ten Commandments or the law. And for two minutes, maybe one, I just want you to talk to, like, one or two people next to you. Where would you put yourself on this, like, bell curve in re- relative to Trump? Okay? <laughs> um, and uh, I'll just give you guys two minutes. And why would you put yourself there? Okay. Go for it. Have fun. Make sure everyone's included. Is it really? All right, do we all place ourselves uh, relative to Trump? How many of you guys put yourself on the top performer level? Please raise your hand, don't be shy, be proud. No, one, per- two, okay. How many are like on the line between average performer and top performer? Yeah, that feels safe, right? It's like I'm better than you, but not that much better. How about average performer, average moral standard? Okay, how about below average? Anyone put yourself there? One, two, okay, not bad, not bad. Hey, it's good to be honest. Um, so Paul, in, in the first chapter of Romans, tackles kind of the, I'm the worst people. And remember, the pronoun he uses is they. Like, they're the worst, right? They're murderers, they invent ways of doing evil, um, they are God-haters, slanderers, uh, disobedient to their parents. And we feel comfortable with that. And, and Paul talks about that in the context of God's wrath, that God's going to judge them. And I just imagine the whole Roman church, like, standing up, applauding, cheering, you know, like, yeah, they suck. And all of a sudden, in, in Romans chapter 2, Paul turns the table, and then he tackles everyone else in saying that no matter where you are on the scale of morality, you fall short. To the person who's non-Christian, who doesn't own a Bible, he says, hey, God put the conscience in your heart. God inscribed um, what's right and wrong into your heart, and you violated that. To the person who's pretty good and better than most, he says, you who judge others, by that same standard, you're being judged, right? When you say someone's not as good as you, and you put a bar down, at some point in your life, you're going to cross that bar as well. And you're, you're going to be judged by the very standard that you judge others. But I think the scariest part, or the part that makes me uncomfortable, is how he talks about the super Christian, how he talks about our righteousness. Because I want things in my life to be really good, like that the good I do to actually be good. But Paul's saying that even our good, even our righteousness, even the things that we do to help other people, it's still tainted. There's still evil in it. Uh, oh, just straight. I'm aiming so hard at this laptop. All right, next slide. I'm just going to say next slide. I'm giving up, guys. I'm giving up. <laughs> Goodbye, $300. All right. Um, even to the super Christian, he says, man, God judges people's secrets through Christ Jesus. That means he looks at the depths of our soul, even when we're doing good, and and finds the evil in it. That there's parts of us, even when we're helping others, that are selfish. There's parts of us, even as we're feeding the homeless, we want to Snapchat it so that our friends will know. There's parts of us that even when we're worshiping, we're wondering, man, are the people around us uh, thinking that we're experiencing God? Or uh, is the girl next to me listening to me hit that falsetto, you know, third harmony, right? I mean, it's all in there. It's all in there. And God takes a microscope to it. Microscopes are scary. I, I went to biology class in high school, right, high-level biology, and I was watching this video where they zoom into, like, different parts of the house and and onto different parts of the body, and, like, if you zoom into this carpet enough, there's, like, mites living in there. They're really ugly. They have tentacles. If you zoom into your drinking water enough, there's, like, bacteria floating around, right? If you zoom into the person next to you's eyebrow, there's things living inside their eyebrow. It's really weird, and I have really thick eyebrows and so I have like colonies of things living in my eyebrow and so what appears to be good if you go down deep enough you see that it's still tainted it's not the good that, Paul, that God speaks of it might be good to me I might see your actions and be like man you're a really good person like you, you did a great job you're a super Christian but God he has a microscope and even though it's good, there's still, it's tainted good. There's still evil in it. There's still selfishness in it. It's impure, and that's the best parts of us. Uh, Mitchell, could you play a video? I found this video off of um, Jesse's Facebook page, and I thought it was hilarious, so it's like Are two feeling minutes you sad
1: long. and overwhelmed by the state of the world? Do you also like drawing attention to yourself with the least amount of effort possible? Then we have the app for you. Introducing T.P., the Thoughts and Prayers app. Awesome! How does it work? Just download it to your phone. Then once a tragic event occurs somewhere in the world, T.P. will post thoughts and prayers on your behalf for all of your friends and family to see. Cool! There's been a mass stabbing in New York and my thoughts and prayers were automatically posted. I feel like a better person and I didn't have to do anything. And you'll never have to again. Forget about cumbersome donations or boring policy changes. With TP, screaming into the void has never been easier or better for your ego. Now, it seems like everyone is sharing their thoughts and prayers, but I want to show that mine are more important. How can we do that? You can sign up for TP Premium at $39.99 a month. For the price of a mere 5,200 poke coins, TP Premium will shoot your post to the top of social media feeds and post your thoughts and prayers first, before anyone else's. Wow, I can't wait for the next school shooting. And neither can we, because TP Premium also gives each of your posts an automatic 1,000 likes.
0: (laughs) finally! A way to help that also helps me!
1: Hey, there was a bombing in Turkey, but TP didn't post for me. What happened? Stuff like that happens all the time in those countries. We want to pay attention to important civilized places. Plus, you and your friends don't even know where Turkey is. No.
0: Yeah. They don't.
1: Thoughts and Prayers app. When you want people to know that you care.
0: Wow, that hurt me. That hurt me so bad. I, I think, though, like, I mean, it's obviously a satire, but is it kind of true? Is it kind of true like when you're judging other people's posts? But is it also kind of true when, you, you know, when we do the same thing, right? We want people to think that we're good people. So we used to buy Tom's, but that's dead now, and, um, right? So there's like five other, 500 other products, and there's a TP, which you can download. Um, I think that what Paul's saying is that in our spectrum of good and evil, uh, we fall short of God's glory. Where it's not that we're just imperfect. It's not just that we do evil and we do horrific acts. It's that even the good we do isn't the good in which God prescribes. I'm just going to point and click, and then Mitchell will next slide. Uh, when we look at God's righteousness, it is it makes our righteous look, righteousness looks like look like dirt, right? Like. We have our idea of righteousness on this little scale that we rank everyone on and ourselves on, but then we zoom out and we're like, what if we took on God's lens? What if it wasn't about where I fall and how I judge where you fall? What if we looked through the lens of God and said, what does righteousness, what does real righteousness look like in its purity and perfection? Um, let's go to the next slide. Next, okay, perfect. Perfect. So this is just glimpses, because I feel like if God really put himself out there, we just feel even worse. But he gives us this this concept, which I think is, um, I don't know, heavy and difficult to really even grasp, but he equivocates lust to adultery. When you want to understand what real righteousness looks like in the eyes of God, in this perfect holy being, he says... He says if you lust after someone, to him it's as if you committed adultery. He says if you hate someone, it's as if you've committed murder. That's the type of gap that God has in his perception of righteousness and and mine. I'm like, dude, if you lust for someone, it's you know, just don't act out. Don't be like Trump, right? Don't get recorded. And don't actually go and do stuff. But just keep it in your head. Try to fight against it. We all, we all have lustful thoughts. If you hate someone, it's like, you know, like, we all hate people. Try to forgive them, right? I understand. I've hated people before. But God's like, no, you're actually an adulterer and murderer. Let's go to that passage. Next slide. Matthew chapter 5. Um, you have said, or you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, he's referring to the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, Jesus is like trumping the Old Old Testament. He's trumping the law. He's saying this is the perfect law. I gave you the law that kind of compromised where you are in your societal context and my righteousness, but here's the true law. I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone says to a brother and sister, Raka, which, man, I say all the time, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. My goodness. You have heard that it said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Next slide. Um, sorry, can you go back (laughs) to, thanks, Mitchell, one more, okay, so that's evil, and we, I would say, dude, I'm a murderer and adulterer in the eyes of God, and I would say we probably all are, that his bar is so high that we don't even come close, but also think about his high, his bar for what is actually good. When he he looks at righteousness, what is actually righteousness to him is that he could take a microscope into your heart, and it's fully good. Your motivation is fully selfless. Who in this room is able to do that? He could take a microscope to to your thoughts throughout this week and say there's nothing evil in there. I honestly can't share with you my most evil thought of the week. Like, I would not do it. I wouldn't do it for a million dollars, it's that bad. But I think, can you share your most evil thought of the week? It's pretty, uh, it's pretty disastrous, right? What is good isn't just um, a relinquishing of evil. It's not just living a monastic lifestyle where you're isolated from society. It's actually doing good out of the purity of your heart. It's actually choosing actively to do the right thing every time. I don't even know what the right thing to do is every time. Every time I buy food for $10, I'm like, but a child's dying, right? What's the right thing to do? I I, I genuinely wrestle with whether I should just make rice, save $400 on food every month, and send it to Africa so that, you know, or some other third world country so that maybe 40 children don't die. Is is that the right thing to do? I don't even know, I don't even know. I don't even know. (laughs) But God, like, I don't even know, right? That's such a high bar, and to choose to do that every time. That's what we're talking about. That's a glimpse. I, I, it's so hard to even conceive that. But that's why I'm saying, like, when you look at through the lens of God and not just our human, like, um, relativistic category for morality or societal, it just, it should blow us all away. Next slide, two slides later. This is how Paul sums up his first two chapters, which are very, um, first three chapters, which are very much about sin. And he, he combines lots of uh, Psalms, verses and Psalms, one, one proverb and two verses from Isaiah. He just kind of throws it all together and he says, <clears throat> uh, sorry, after verse 10, what shall we say then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we are already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have altogether become worthless. That whole spectrum. There is no one who does true good, not even one. Next slide. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin, and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Dang. Okay. Ouch. Here we go. Now we know that whatever the law says... It says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Here's the biggie. Therefore, right, after Paul says, uh, chapter 1, 2, and part of chapter 3, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. If you want to rest in the system, if you want to be in the system of earning your way to God's favor and righteousness, earning your way to heaven, if that's what you want to do, he already tells you the result of this. This, You can't win. It's over. It's over before it began, right? If you want to get perfect on a test and you get one wrong, can you you be perfect after that? Can you get 100% after that? no bonus questions, you can't, right? If you, get, if you get question two wrong, but you get 5,000 questions right, you're still not 100% um, perfect. And that's what God's talking about here. Even if you commit one sin, your righteousness and his are totally different. And I think the worst part about this, I haven't gotten into it yet, is that God's not just saying like everyone's messed up. God's not just saying, oh, we're all imperfect. Because we can say that, we can easily admit, hey, I messed up, I'm, I'm a sinner, everyone's a sinner, we, we, no one's perfect. He's saying not only are you imperfect, but that his wrath and judgment is on, is on you for your sins. That's, that's hard to swallow, but that's what he says at the end of chapter 1, and then he applies that to everyone else on the spectrum. At the end of one, it's talking about the worst people, right? The murderers, the rapists, the people who who do evil. And we understand that we want them to be punished. Every superhero movie is about that, right? There's someone who's hit the lowest end of the moral bar, and there's no um, system or institution that can take them out, right? The police, the government's powerless against them or has been corrupted. And then there's a superhero who comes, who has a moral code. But not only does he have a moral code, he has power in, in, in the, and the ability to enact and to do away with evil. And so we're cheering for Batman and Superman and Iron Man and especially Superman because he's morally uh, totally upright, whereas other characters have some flaw in them. And we're like, yes, get the bad guys, right? Use your power and, and, and do good with it. Because if someone is completely good and powerful and he does nothing with it, then he's not totally good, right? If I have the power to stop someone being bullied and I don't act on it, then there's evil in me. I'm not acting out injustice. Does that make sense? If I have power and I'm not stopping evil, then I'm not good. There's something evil in me. So, But what happens when when God's the superhero but all of us are the villains, when God's a superhero, but the gap between him and us is that everywhere he looks as this perfect being are people who are murderers and adulterers. And that this huge distance of his righteousness and our evil incurs wrath and judgment. That's, that's what's hard for us to own. That's what's hard for me to own. But that's what Romans 1 and 2 and 3 are saying. Next slide. So you can be under the law. You can try to get your way to God by working hard and by trying to be righteous, but the distance is too far. And in that distance is his judgment. Because he's good and just, he has to punish evil. And then there's the second system. There's a big but in the middle of Romans chapter 3. And what it's saying is that this same righteousness is is being revealed or manifested apart from the law. That, That God's opening up another system. That God's opening up another way that is completely outside of this earning my righteousness thing. That is completely outside of me being a good Christian and doing all the right things. The works, the earning, the slaving over, the getting, the being, um, being righteous and earning my way into heaven. God's opening up another system of righteousness. Um, next slide. This is a separate category. It says, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Separate from the law although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is huge. God's saying, here's the difference between the Christian faith and all the other faiths. All the other faiths is about us earning our way to God and being good enough. All the other faiths and systems are about our works and what we can do to get to heaven and God's like, and our God, the Christian God, is like, actually, you can't do it that way, but I'm going to give you a different system where it's about the same standard of righteousness, but you don't get it by working for it. You get it by trusting Jesus. That this righteous God that we talk about, in all of his purity and holiness, when when, people, when he shows up in front of the best of us, our prophets in the Old Testament, People are weeping on their knees, begging for mercy, because just his presence, his holy presence brings judgment. And that God comes to earth in the form of Jesus. And he says, here's the manifestation of my righteousness among you. Have faith in him. Be in this other system. Next slide. I'm just going to read this to you. There is no difference between Jews and Gentile, for all has fallen short of the glory of God. And all who are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes from Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he has left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did, this, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. What he's saying here is that this is the gospel, He has this unreachable bar of holiness. And he takes that and he says, I'm not going to punish people's sins. I'm going to let people go right now. There's a season, this era of grace because my righteousness is going to come to you in a different way. Separate from the law, separate from working, separate from earning through my son Jesus. He's going to pay the wrath He's going to pay the punishment for your sins. And that's what it means that on the cross, there's the justice of God, the wrath of God for all of our sins being poured out on Jesus as he's nailed, as he's lashed, as he's executed, as he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? That is the entire wrath of God that we deserve. But he, but Jesus takes it for us. He sacrifices himself for us. He stands in front of us. As the wrath of God and punishment of God is being poured out, he stands in front of us and he takes it for us. And that's why there's a justification. That when we trust in Jesus to do that, we are justified. That's a judicial term, which means that we can walk free. We're not under guilt or shame or punishment anymore. We get to be his kids. It's a totally different system. And over and over again, God says, this is a free gift. This is something you don't earn. This is something I just give to you. As you trust me and place your faith in me. You know, I think about all the things I've had to earn in life. I earned my master's degree. Um, I had to take some Adderall and drop from a D D-Men to MA, but I earned it, right? I turned in all these papers to get there. I, in some ways, I earned my friendships. I, I uh, expressed my, my care for them and concern. I walked through the hard times, going to funerals, helping my friends move, right? The ultimate sign of friendship is like, oh, I'll carry that couch for you, you know? It's like a different level of friendship. Um, I hug them when they're sick, right? Um, and then I think about, yeah, earning my way into, like, volleyball groups and uh, to becoming a, a decent volleyball player, although I was totally crappy when I played with Mar- Maurice yesterday. <laughs> Sorry, Maurice. And then I think about things I don't earn. Like, I didn't earn being a son to my father and mother. That I, it just happened, right? My, my, my wife's pregnant. We're going to Babies are Us and uh, she stops at the sock section, and she's like, socks, and I look at it, and I feel really emotional, like, oh my gosh, I have a baby, and he's gonna wear socks, but I push it down, and I put on an angry face, and I walk straight to the, straight to the cribs, because that's what we're buying today, right, <laughs> and then we're, we're like looking for cribs, and we finally sit down, and I open up my heart a little bit, I'm like, hey, Nina, like, um, I really felt something when you said socks. <laughs> she's like, oh, I just thought you were mad at me. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, that's, that's how I feel things. Um, and then, and then uh, Nina, like the baby's like kicking now, and you can kind of feel it on her stomach. And so whenever she's like, baby's kicking, I'm like running over, and I put my hand there. I just imagine him giving me high fives, right? <laughs> um, and I just feel my heart open to him. I'm just like, dude, I love this kid. Like, I, I, have, I don't know his name yet. If I do, I'm not allowed to share it. <laughs> um, and then, uh, what else? I, I've never met him. I haven't seen his face. I don't know his personality. But I know he's a part of my family. I know I would do anything to keep him safe. And I know that I want to be a better man for him. Like, I think, I think about my life. And I'm like, I want to be a better man for this kid my kid. And what God's saying is that you could either be someone who is a servant trying to earn your way out of his wrath and be in that system of law or you could be his child. You could be someone who says, God, can you just adopt me in? Because I'm I'm done trying to make this work. And I'm giving up on being good enough. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. I just want to be loved. And that's what God's extending to all of us. Every single one of us, he says, I want to be your dad. I just want to be your dad. And I hope that, you know, this is for you who are who are exploring the christian faith dude like god just loves you and he's saying if you trust me i'm going to forgive you and you can be a part of my family right now that's a pretty big deal and then some of us have been walking with god for a long time and he's saying stop earning my love stop trying to insert my forgiveness and my love and the gospel onto this other pole of earning. Stop it. I just love you. And let that be what drives everything else in your life. I love you. You're my kid. You don't have to do anything. Just kicking will do, right? Just socks will do. I just love you. Have we received that? Or have we taken our, our gospel faith and just try to make it work in this earning righteousness thing, in this judging other thing, in this I'm, am I good enough thing? Kids don't ask that. We just, we're just loved. You know, in this next passage, just to touch on it, um, Mitchell, Mitchell, <laughs> He says, where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of the law, the law that requires works, you would boast if you had to earn it. If you're boasting about, in your heart or outwardly, about being a good Christian, thinking that to yourself, judging other people, it's because you're still in the other system. You're still earning something, and therefore you're boasting. And God says, there's no boasting here because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. I hope that today all of us will be able to receive the gospel in a new way. That we would be his kids. And I just want to extend an invitation. I know some of you guys, I, I'm so glad you're here. Um, especially if you're not Christian, you don't identify yourself as a Christian. Because it's just like scary to walk into a religious environment, you know. And, but I just kind of want to say it's okay to keep exploring. But it's also okay for you today to just say, man, I want Jesus, I just want to be a part of his family like I want it to be adopted in. Isn't that a great invitation? If that's you today, you know, it's so it's so simple. Like God just boils it down and he says, "All you have to do is ask me to forgive you and I will. I already paid for it. Just ask me to forgive you and ask ask to be my child and you're in." I hope that you'll do that with me this morning. And I think all of us can pray that too, though. Because we forget we're kids. We forget we're his sons and daughters sometimes. And we start, to, we start to do all these other things that are unimportant. We start to be about climbing some ladder. And today, I hope we could just sit with, man, God loves me. I'm his kid. It's a different system. Father, we come to you this morning... And we think about all the ways we've tried to earn your love and favor, all the ways we tried to be a good Christian, all the ways that we um, try to be righteous and then, actually, and then flaunt it and then judge others by it and then boast. Um, and I think in all of us, there's parts of our spirituality that, yeah, we do that. I know I do that. I know there's parts of my heart that takes you and this gospel thing and just plugs it into a hierarchy, plugs it into a ladder board, trying to beat out my friends, trying to beat out other pastors. Forgive me, God. Forgive me, God, for doing that. Forgive us, God. I pray that today we would just say, man, I just want to be your kid. I want to have faith in you to forgive me of my sins and, and to be adopted in to, your, to be your son or daughter. You know, we don't do this every week, but if you're not a Christian and you're like, I want to get adopted into this family, I want, I want God to be my dad and, and not this judge that weighs my good and evil, I'm just going to pray the simple prayer. And if you mean this, uh, I would love for you just to kind of repeat it, and, to, and 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 just talk to God and say this to Him. And the cool thing is, man, if if you mean if you mean this thing of like forgive me and I want to be your kid, you're you're in. Like God just adopts you right here. Like you don't have to do anything else. And I just want to instead, ex- extend that invitation to you. So I'm going to pray this prayer, and if you. If every, I just gonna give you some time to think about the words, and if you're like, "Yep, that's me," it's true. Just go ahead and say it to God. All right. God, I know that I've sinned. I've done things that are wrong. I believe that I can't earn my way to you, but I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Please adopt me into your family. Please be my dad. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to talk to you and like buy you lunch and throw you a party. All right.